lesson today is coming from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Uh, it's a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to deal with uh, retaliation. Um, I've been thinking about this sermon for about two weeks and uh, wrestled with it for two weeks. And Dawn asked me for an outline and uh, I was forced to give an outline. And uh, I didn't finish this sermon until 1.30 last night sitting in my office over there. Uh, I was asking the Lord not to wrench my hip as I wrestled with him, but uh, it, just, it just, for some reason, a simple passage just wouldn't sit right in my mind. And, uh, and you'll see that uh, this is quite a controversial uh, a passage. And so instead of verse by verse, so to speak, uh, I think it's better to understand this particular passage uh, as we understand its context, as we understand the purpose of Jesus Christ, what is happening during this particular time. Uh, so it may be helpful if you have a pen to write down the Bible verses uh, as I go because we're going to refer to uh, several of them. I didn't put them in the notes and all, and so uh, you just have to follow along uh, with me. Uh, this is a, is a, provo a provocative passage. This Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through verse 42. Uh, it's it's uh, one of the most provocative passages in the Bible concerning questions about Christian nonviolence and cooperation with the government who bears the sword. Uh, the eye for an eye principle is a very strict uh, command upon uh, the government uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, that it's uh, fair uh, an eye for an eye, a tit for a tat, uh, punishment fits the crime. Any of those phrases uh, will fit this particular, uh, this, this particular context. Uh, taking Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 and applying it literally uh, really leaves no room for supporting or participating in a coercive enforcement of justice. And uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, some of the things that come out of a wrong interpretation of this particular passage uh, would be anarchism, and that is the organization of society on the basis of voluntary cooperation without political institutions uh, or a hierarchical government. Uh, perhaps a phrase that you're well of uh, would be uh, defund the police, right? Would be an anarchist mentality, uh, and we'll read and we'll see this a little bit clearer, um, but the, uh, the passage uh, seems to lean its way towards, if you read it literally, again, that there's no institutions, no government, no churches uh, otherwise, no, no authority structure. We are just supposed to dismantle all of those things and live the way that uh, Matthew chapter 8, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through uh, 42, because it tells us don't resist evil. So are we not supposed to resist evil? It tells us don't defend yourself. Uh, it tells you that you're supposed to give everything if you're, if you're sued. It says uh, if you're forced to do something, that you just go willingly and do whatever is expected and required of you. Uh, give to everyone who begs and everyone who borrows. Right? So is that, does that mean every time you pull off on an intersection there's somebody holding a, a cardboard with a begging for some finances that you automatically, because the word of God says that you have to give to every beggar and every borrower, that you have to pull off on the side of the street and give them, uh, give them money. Um, so let me read uh, the passage and you can 
Uh, you can probably hear the, uh, the uh, controversy here. Uh, if you read it literally, again, it, 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 talking about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which is, which is referring back to the Old Testament. Jesus is confronting the interpretation that the Pharisees had of that particular day, and he's correcting it, and that's what we're here to, uh, uh, to see. So it says in verse 38, you have heard what it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we ask, Father, for your assistance. Father, that you would have grace and mercy upon the teacher as I have struggled uh, through this passage for some reason, for a number of reasons. Uh, Father, I just pray for clarity. Uh, Father, that you would uh, help me to communicate clearly in such a way that brings about the true meaning of this particular passage. Father, so that it is uh, not quite as provocative as it seems in the first reading of this, of this passage, uh, but that we would know what it means and how we are to respond, that we may not err in the way that the scribes and the Pharisees were erring. Give us the true meaning of the scriptures and help us with the right application of these words so that we may bring glory and honor to your name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the key question here uh, would be, uh, is Jesus trying to reform government? Because we know that the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth refers back to the Old Testament and is speaking about the civil law of, uh, of the uh, Israelites. So is it talking about reforming government? Jesus is fulfilling the requires of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and he is establishing the principles of the new is what he is uh, is what is happening here. So I want to look at the, the context, the coming of uh, Jesus, and talk about the establishment of the kingdom of God. And as I say, these things, I believe, will bring a little bit more clarity uh, to what this particular verse is actually teaching. So let's start with, uh, with John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. We won't go there. Uh, we will go back to Matthew chapter 3 in just a minute. But basically, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 13 uh, says basically that John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. He's the last Old Testament prophet. If you think of my arm as the history of Israel, and you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob David, Solomon, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all the way down to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the finger. He is the one that would say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At that particular point, uh, the Old Testament would be uh, slowly being done away with and the New Covenant will, uh, will come about. So it's interesting, very interesting to me, if we go back to Matthew chapter 3, 
and uh, look at verses 11 through 17. In verses 11 through 17, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, and he who's coming after me is mightier than I. Right? So there's one coming after John the Baptist that is mightier than Joseph. If uh, In our teaching of Hebrews with the senior saints on Thursday morning, we know that Jesus Christ is the much more superior prophet, uh, is the fulfillment of all prophets and prophecy of the, uh, of the Old Testament. He is the greater one because of that fulfillment. So John the Baptist recognized this by saying, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, and his winnowing hook is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, uh, but the chaff he will burn in the, uh, with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. John and baptized, uh, was baptized by him, and John would be prevented him uh, have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so that's the beginning, the start of uh, Jesus's uh, ministry. He goes out into uh, the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And then after he is tempted, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, uh, it, says, it says this. It says, now when he heard that John had been arrested... That's key. Now, when John heard, or when Jesus heard that he had been arrested, he withdrew in Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. It says the, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, uh, the Galilee of Gentiles, which we know that uh, Jesus came from Jew first, then to the Gentiles. Uh, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen the great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death on them, a light has, has dawned. Okay, so uh, John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. Uh, there was one greater than John the Baptist that was now here. Uh, there's an abrupt arrest of John the Baptist, he's put into prison, and immediately after, immediately after the imprisonment of John, and we know that he's eventually beheaded, immediately after uh, John's arrest, Jesus begins his ministry, which I think is significant because there's an, an abrupt end to the, the Old Testament and an immediate establishment of the new that will help us in understanding what the Sermon, on Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 is the, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his first uh, recorded sermon, again, immediately after the arrest of John the Baptist. Uh, we know that in Mount Sinai, on Mount Sinai, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, Moses went up 
to the top of the mountain, received the law, and came down. And now here's Jesus going to the top of the mountain because he's now going to bring his word down. We could say that law uh, came down at Mount Sinai. Grace is coming now down from Jesus. Uh, the earthly uh, kingdom of Israel has uh, now moved to the side, and now the heavenly kingdom of God is now taking this place. Let's go over to Hebrews real quick. In Hebrews chapter 8, I'm going to look at verses 5 through 7. Talking about the Old Testament, it says, They serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is much better, since it enacted on better promises. For as the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And so there's a fault or a deficiency in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ will, will resolve. And then jump down to verse 13. And verse 13 says, In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, so notice the abrupt end to the last Old Testament prophet and the immediate ministry of Jesus Christ. Moving away from the Old Testament and the earthly kingdom, now moving into the New Testament, the better covenant, Jesus Christ, the great prophet who is going to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. And so Matthew acknowledges Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He acknowledges it in the Old Testament prophecies. He did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law in the, in the prophets. Jesus, from this moment on, uh, heard that John the Baptist was arrested, and then he immediately begins his ministry. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God and how the citizens of the kingdom of God are to act. That's, that's key in understanding our passage. The Sermon on the Mount is about the establishment of the kingdom of God and how the citizens of the kingdom are going to respond and act. In Matthew chapter 5, 38, in its context, it begins with Jesus fulfilling the law or fulfilling the Old Testament. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, again, he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to establish it. Not one jot or one tittle by any means will uh, go away until all has been established. Uh, you can even go back to Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, which is the gospel, how we enter into the kingdom and now uh, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament. Now, how are we to respond because we are children of the, of the kingdom? Uh, the, uh, so it begins with uh, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The Sermon on the Mount is all of the kingdom of God and how the citizens of the kingdom are to act. Okay, So it's talking a lot about the kingdom of God. And so in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go down to verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And go over to uh, chapter 6 and verse 
10, and it says that we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. You can go to 633 and 721. Uh, and, it, and, and so Jesus is establishing in the Sermon, sermon on the Mount the principles of the kingdom. He's establishing the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, and how the children of the kingdom are to act. And so the next point there is the fulfillment of the law, an eye for an eye. Um, it begins, uh, again, with the, uh, with the fulfillment of the Old Testament, establishing the kingdom. An eye for an eye appears three, three times in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a look at one. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 21. And we want to look at verses 22. 22 through 25. It says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he'll, he shall pay as the judges determine. As the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, uh, burn for burn, wound for wound, Stripe for stripe. Now, I won't go to the other passages if you want them. It's Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. Every single one of them refers to what the judges have determined or the magistrates. Okay, so the eye for an eye is a, um, is a um, judicial term, a justice term, and it was strict, it was proportionate, and it was coercive. Now, we're talking about uh, retaliation. And so one of the things that I want you to see about the government is that the government is not retaliating. It's not a retaliation by the government. He is, they're practicing uh, 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 justice, righteous justice. Right? In other words, how God has set up government is that if you shoplift a piece of bubble gum, you shouldn't get the death penalty. Right? So it's the responsibility of the government to make sure that the weights and the balances of justice is, is, uh, is equal. Okay? One of the things that I think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing is that they were taking a law that was meant for the government and they were using it for personal relationships. Right? Now, can you imagine, you know what happens in personal relationships. Uh, if, you're, if you're tit for tat, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, uh, you're going to say, okay, you did that to me, but I'm going to do this to you. And then when you do that to that person, that person automatically thinks, I didn't deserve that. That's way more than what I did to you. And then what happens? Then they do something to them. And, and it goes on and 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 on. And so the Pharisees... Uh, we're acting as magistrates rather than acting, acting as pit children of the kingdom, right? And, they, and that's what they were doing, tit for tat, right? You go to, you go to tribal regions, right? Or you go downtown uh, to inner city and you, and you look at gangs, right? Gang members are retaliatory, right? We all are reta retaliatory, but you can see it more in gangs in third world countries, right? One tribe kills somebody in the other tribe. What does the other tribe do? They go and slaughter the whole tribe. 
right? So it's, 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 it's unequal justice. It's not an eye for an eye. It's gone beyond. And you're using it for personal relationship rather than government, uh, rather than government uh, justice. Okay, so uh, go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. It says, you've heard what it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, that is the principle for the government. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now again, do we not resist? Well, James chapter 4 and verse 7 says that we are to resist the devil and he will flee. We are to resist the devil and he, and, and he will free, uh, flee. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 22, uh, we are supposed to forgive. How many times? 70 times 7. Right? And, so we, and so we see principle there that there are times in which we are to resist and then there are times in which we are uh, to forgive. And so what that is not uh, teaching uh, is that, uh, that we need to do away with government and do away with the police and do away with the army because the Bible teaches us very clearly that we are not to resist evil. It doesn't make any sense. It won't work. It won't work. Turn the other cheek. Uh, Jesus did that. That's a good example of how Jesus fulfilled the word. Turn over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, we'll look at verses 22. It says, when he had said these things, one of the offers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priests? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, then why do you strike me? Notice that Jesus did not retaliate. He did not smack. Right? It wasn't eye for an eye for people. What he did was challenge him. Why did you smack me? Right? If you can find no wrong in me, then why did you smack me? All of us as sinners sin is smacking Jesus in the face. And he didn't return evil with evil. He went to the cross and died for our sins. He looked down from the cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 says, we're not to sue each other as believers. However, we live in this world and we may do some things wrong in this world that will cause someone else to accuse us and to sue us, and we are bound to what the judge says in paying any particular fines uh, from that particular from that particular instance. And so, and so, the principle there is not that we go around suing each other, but when we're sued, this is how we should respond. And how we should respond is that if we're guilty, we make it right immediately. We don't re we don't resist the government. We don't resist. The lawsuit, if we're guilty, we pay for it. But on the other side of it, we don't sit around taking each other tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, taking each other to the, to the court system to, to sue each other. If someone forces you, go willingly. A good example of that would be Simon of Cyrene. If you remember, Jesus was carrying his cross to Galgotha and he stumbled and fell and got tired and then the centurions, the military there, uh, told Simon to take the cross and carry it the rest of the way. 
And uh, there is no record of him being resistant in that. He willingly got it and carried it the rest of the way. Uh, when, we talk, when we talk about giving to beggars and giving to borrowers, right, the uh, principle there, I believe, is that we are to take care of our widows and orphans, visit people and uh, prisoners. We are to be generous. We are to be, uh, we are to be hospitable. Uh, we ought to take care of, uh, uh, of needs within the, uh, the congregation. So the way of life in Jesus' uh, uh, kingdom is quite literally marked by the refusal to seek retribution against the wrongdoer and willingly suffer for the sake of Christ. And we see uh, often in scriptures that Jesus, Jesus' disciples must imitate him in suffering for wrong. Right? So again, remember that Jesus is setting up his kingdom and setting up kingdom principles and showing us how we are to live. And then he's setting an example. He's fulfilling his law. He's setting an example showing how we are to respond. And we are not su supposed to respond in retaliation. We are not to seek retribution. So the kingdom of God, uh, the next point there is the, the kingdom of God and his, his church uh, Matthew doesn't really teach uh, the kingdom of God and the church, but the church being the manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth. The church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the church. That is what it is. The church is where the principles of the kingdom are lived out. We see that in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 18 through, uh, through 20. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So God is giving the church the keys to the kingdom, and the power of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom is housed in the church. We see that in whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, whatever is true in heaven should be what is true in the church. And so the keys of the heaven is the gospel, the gospel ministry. And we are to minister the gospel. The ministration of the, of the affairs of the heavenly kingdom is executed by the church, in the church. Verse 19 uh, discloses both the nature of the keys and the relationship between the kingdom of heaven and the church here on earth. Another example would be Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. We're talking about when a brother sins. The church is a community where the kingdom of heaven touches and manifests itself on earth. The power of God is revealed and the promises of Jesus present in the church experience. The power in the presence of God is experienced in the presence of the church and how we are administering the word of God uh, towards one another. Matthew describes a kingdom whose way of life is marked not by seeking justice when sin and conflicts arise, but by seeking forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. Matthew chapter 7, uh, 18 shows how we are to put Matthew 5, 38 to 42 into practice. You can look at Matthew 18, 10 through 14 and 21 through 35, which is two parables that reinforce the centrality 
of mercy and forgiveness in the context of the, of the, of the church. The only weapon wielded by the church is the word of God. The instrument of discipline is only the word of God, never the sword. The church is not focused upon uh, the many people scattered throughout the universe, throughout the neighborhood, but it's focused on the gathered church, which helps us to see that there's two institutions in this particular passage of Matthew chapter 5 that we need to be concerned about. We need to be concerned about the government and we need to, to be concerned about the, the church because we're in the world, we're not of the world, but being in the world, we're affected by governmental decisions and laws and things like that. So we need to be concerned about that. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, we see that God ordained the government and it carries a sword Commanded to be just. And in that command, the, 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 the justice needs to be strict, proportionate, and it's for the purpose of deterring evil. Jesus rules over every person in the world through government that makes sure justice is righteous and fair. An eye for an eye. The justice must fit the crime. Right? Think if you didn't have any government. And we were just left to retaliation. We were just left to handle our own, our own problems. And how evil and how wickedness would overcome that, that country so quickly. Right? And there's a play on the, 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 the words here because uh, the government wields the sword. And the church has the word of God, which is the sword. And so the government is run by its sword, and we as a community of our believers are guided by the word of God. Its sword. So Jesus set forth a nonviolent and non-retaliatory ethic, not designed to overturn the pursuit of the civil government or civil justice, but intended to shape the way of the life of the church the manifestation of his kingdom in the present age. The church is to exercise kingdom authority over the non-coercive ministry of the word of God in the sacraments. And so God has established a civil kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. Christians live in both kingdoms. We will be sued and face government justice at times. Jesus commanded the, uh, commanded the people to pay the taxes. Jesus commended the centurion for having great faith, but never rebuked him for being involved in wielding the sword of the government. Stating or showing that it's all right for Christians to be involved in government, and they have to adhere to the government sword and rules and fair justice but he's also a child of the kingdom and has certain responsibilities in that kingdom to also live in accordance with the sword of the spirit which is the word of God Jesus calls Christians to suffer wrong therefore an important question for us to ask 
is which kingdoms are we being wronged by? That's important. Which kingdom are you being wronged by? If we are robbed, then we can call the police. And we can protect ourselves and resist them from coming into our home. If we are being persecuted for the, persecuted for the gospel, persecuted for the gospel's sake, persecuted because we are children of the kingdom, then we should exercise nonviolent and non-retaliatory responses. We have no right to retaliate if someone attacks us for preaching the gospel. There's two different, two different kingdoms. So now if we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and read this, hopefully it'll be much more clear to us and less controversial so that we don't get into defund the police and get rid of all of our government officials and let's just live together in autonomy and think that we're all going to make decisions without that restraining government uh, over our heads. So you have heard that it was said of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, Old, old Testament, civil law, command for the magistrates, that the Pharisees were saying this needs to be practiced within the church. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And that's not the case. But I say to you, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now who's evil? All of us. What if a unbeliever comes into our fellowship still in habitual sin? Should we resist that person from attending? If a uh, member of our church sins do we not go to him and seek restoration do we not go to him and uh, uh, seek repentance and and forgiveness of sin and restoration to the body of christ and the answer of course is 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 yes and so we re we resist the burglar but we don't resist the sinner we want forgiveness mercy in grace. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Well, what that means is if someone slaps you, absorb the second slap by not retaliating. Absorb it. Turn to him and challenge him on the reason, as Jesus said, on the reason why he was slapping. Was it, was it deserved? If it's not deserved, why did you do it? And if he, and if he did it, then they need to repent. Right? I, can tell you, I can tell you right now that if he slaps you and you slap him back, it's going to turn into a fight. It's going to turn into a mess. Right? And so that's the point. God says we're, we're concerned about salvation, redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, grace, all of these things. Not on just making sure that everybody's walking a fine line and slapping you when you get out of line. That's not what, that's not what God wants. Right? If anyone who sues you and, and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak too. Again, that's not suing one another. It's somebody from the outside suing you. Make it right. Make it right quickly. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do. If we're wrong, make it right quickly, immediately. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. In other words, just, just be generous. And all that you do, just, just, ex, just exude generosity in that situation. I remember when I was a young believer at another church, and I was on staff, 
And I prayed a prayer and what I intended for that prayer that I wanted to be. And the music minister prayed a prayer and it kind of just like twisted my, my prayer into another, into another way that I didn't really want it to go in or whatever. And for some reason, I, I, I was resentful towards him for that. And I just kind of brushed it off and said, oh, that's a stupid immaturity and just, you know, I just need to let it go. Well, the next Sunday I came in and I saw him and I felt that resentment again. And I just went to him and I said, I said, listen, I said, I, I just want to confess. I'm just feeling some resentful uh, towards you because of how you prayed for me the other day. Now think about that. That's anyway, but I was immature. I went to him, but he was so kind and so gracious. He was like, oh, brother, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Right now he could have got what I was praying to God. You're, you're holding me accountable for praying. You know, that it could have went on and on and on and on. But he just humbled himself and he said, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to just understand you. And I'm going to offer you all the mercy and grace that I possibly can in that particular situation. Give to the one who begs. Again, just, just being over generous in helping people take care of their needs. That's what the kingdom, I mean, think about Jesus. How much did God give us? Right? He didn't retaliate. He didn't, he didn't, he doesn't, he doesn't smack you every time you step out of line. He's very merciful and he's gracious. He's long suffering. He's slow to anger, right? These are, these are kingdom principles. This is how we live within the church. An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's for the government in the lost world. That's not us. We're not, we're, we're non-retaliatory and we're non-violent and we're overly gracious kind and loving towards one another. And I hope that's what your desire as a child of the kingdom is to be. Not just to get your rights met. The rest of the world has rights. Everybody has rights and they want them met now. Right? We don't want to be like that. We want to consider one another better than ourselves. And be over loving and gracious to one another. Let's go to the Lord. Father, again, I find this message rather simple. I do not know why you and I wrestled for so long. But Lord, what a wonderful truth. What a wonderful kingdom that you have established. What a wonderful way of living with one another. And so Lord, I just pray and, and ask, Father, and I really don't believe this is just for the church. Can you imagine our families if we live that way? Can you just imagine that it wasn't tit for tat with our spouse? Can you imagine if it wasn't an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth with our spouse? That we were retaliatory every single time something came about. Father, help us to live by these principles. Help us not to live as the world does, but live by these principles. Help us not to always want our rights, always feel like we need to retaliate when something is done wrong to us, but just fill us with your mercy and grace and kindness and love. And help us to live as God-honoring citizens of the kingdom as we do life together at First and Avenue Baptist Church, Lord. 
we thank you for your word. It is righteous and it is good. We just ask that you would help us to apply it to our lives and live as you have called us to live. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.